Do you need help with your journey following Jesus? Has your Bible reading brought up some interesting questions? Um, I, I need a prayer request. Is I've heard um, pastors talk about you can't get to heaven just with good deeds. I was just wondering what you guys think. Is, the, is there a correlation between the seventh trumpet and Revelations as the last trumpet, or is he talking about some other trumpet? Finally, a place to get answers. We're ready to take your prayer request and answer your Bible questions. Call in at 303-690-3000. Let's join Calvary Live right now. Good afternoon. Welcome to Calvary Live. This is Pastor Nick Cady from Whitefields Community Church in Longmont, Colorado. I'm here with you today taking your calls and texts live on the air. This is the show where you can call in with your questions about the Bible or anything going on in your life that you'd like prayer for or you'd like biblical counsel on. That's what we're here to do and that's the vision behind this show is to give you a place to come with your questions and um, and your prayer requests and be prayed for with a whole community of people listening in who can say yes and amen as well as um, an opportunity to get those questions answered. Maybe you've, you've been reading your Bible here at the beginning of the new year and you've come across something already, maybe in Genesis, that you have questions about. That's what we're here for today. Give us a call. The number is 303-690-3000. It's 303-690-3000. Or text us at 720-336-0897. Once again, that's 720-336-0897. Hey, this is the first live show on a Monday. I guess we had one live show last week, but this is our first live Monday of 2020, the new decade, new year, and we're so glad that you're tuning in. We want to welcome those of you who are listening in Colorado and Wyoming on Grace FM. Welcome to the program. We're so glad that you tuned in. Give us a call, 303-690-3000. And we'd also like to welcome those of you who are listening on our sister stations on the East Coast on Hope FM in Pennsylvania, New Jersey, and Maryland, as well as those of you listening on Truth FM in Tennessee and parts of North Carolina and Kentucky. Welcome to the program. We want to remind you that those of you listening on Hope FM and Truth FM, so on the East Coast and in Tennessee, you are hearing the program on a one-week delay. We want you to just keep that in mind, but we would love for you to call in and be able to join the show and get your questions answered, and then you guys actually have a unique opportunity where you get to tune in, tell your friends and family to tune in as well next week, and then you'll get to hear yourself at that time. But for those of you here on Grace FM and those of you listening online, you are listening live. And by the way, we do have a, a growing audience of people who listen online. And so we want to encourage you, if you haven't got our mobile app yet, definitely go and do that. So whether it's on your tablet or your phone, you can just go to the Google Play Store if you have Android or the App Store if you have Apple device and just type in Grace FM as one word and it'll come right up. It's a free app and you can download it and you can listen anywhere in the United States or anywhere around the world. And I'm looking at the map right now of people who are tuning in at this moment. We have a couple listeners on the West Coast. We have several listeners up and down here in the front range of Colorado. Looks like one in Kansas and looks like we also have one on the East Coast and some people in South Africa as well. So welcome to the program. We're so glad that you're tuning in. Give us a call. We'd love to hear from you wherever you are at. And um, just a reminder, you can you can also tune in on your uh, browser. So not only the mobile app, but you can just go in your browser on your 
laptop or desktop and you can go to gracefm.com and you can listen live there for free as well at any time. And we're so glad to see how God is expanding the listenership of this show because we believe it's a really helpful and good thing. And, and that's what we're here for, to answer those questions, to pray for you, to minister to you, and to serve you. So we'd love to hear from you. Give us a call, 303-690-3000, or text us, 720-336-0897. Well, just a few words about myself. My name is Pastor Nick Cady. I'm the pastor of Whitefields Community Church, which meets in Longmont, Colorado. And I am your host here every Monday on Calvary Live. Um, our church, if you are in Longmont or any of the surrounding area, if you're within driving distance, we would love to have you come worship with us on a Sunday morning. And I just want to take this opportunity to personally invite you, wherever you are, um, to come and join us at Whitefields on a Sunday morning. You can find out more information about our church on our website, which is whitefieldschurch.com. That's whitefieldschurch.com. Our Sunday morning services are at 10 a.m. on Sunday mornings, and we study through the Bible verse by verse. Actually, at this moment, it's funny I say that because at this moment, we just started a topical series, and I had somebody come up to me um, on Sunday yesterday after church and say, hey, um, you know, what was this topical thing you guys did? You know, usually don't we teach verse by verse through the Bible? Yeah, we do. But there are certain times of the year and certain seasons where we want to address a topic and we want to show kind of what does the Bible say about this topic. And so I would say about, you know, whereas almost all of our teaching at our church really is consecutive verse by verse teaching. Currently, right now, we're taking a, a couple weeks here at the beginning of this new year just because of this is a special time. You know, this is a time of year when people are evaluating their lives and they're thinking about the future. And so we want to capitalize on that and help you think in a Christian biblical way about those things, show you what the Bible says. And so that's, that's what we're doing right now at our church. But generally, we study verse by verse through the Bible, and we have a great worship team. We have a great uh, children's ministry, and we would love to serve you. So if you are in the Longmont area or within driving distance, or maybe you're not, but you know somebody who is, well, then please check out our church and send them our way because we would love to minister to them. We believe that God's doing a great thing at our church, and we'd love for you to be a part of it. So check us out online, whitefieldschurch.com. We're on all the social media channels, Whitefields Community Church. You, should, you can find us on YouTube, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, all of those places. Um, and you can also hear us on Grace FM every weekday at 2.30 p.m. and Sunday mornings at 10 a.m. So every weekday... 2.30 p.m., so maybe that's the time when you're picking kids up from school, some of you, or maybe you're you're driving for work. We'd love it if you tune in at those times and hear our sermons here on Grace FM. And also Sunday mornings at 10 a.m., so if for some reason you're not able to be in church, you can tune in to Grace FM here and you can listen to our Sunday service there. Uh, we meet in downtown Longmont at 700 Longspeak Avenue, which is just one block west of Main Street on Longspeak Avenue. We're just to the direct south of the Longmont downtown park and ride and we are on the edge of Roosevelt Park which is the city park here in Longmont so northwest corner of Longs Peak and Kaufman one block west of Main Street uh, directions and all those good things on our website whitefieldschurch.com and we would love to meet you if you do come which we which we do tend to have a lot of people who um, come from radio please come up after service and I'm usually you know I stay up at the front afterwards and I just greet people, and I would love to meet you, and I'd love to have you introduce yourself. So come check us out sometime on a Sunday morning, Whitefields Community Church in Longmont. 
Hey, let's go to our callers. We've got uh, two lines with callers and one open line. Give us a call, 303-690-3000. But let's go to our first caller, Dave, in Boulder, Colorado. Hi, Dave. Welcome to the program. Blessings. How you doing? I had two questions. One was on Revelations 21, and then the other one's on the rapture. Uh, do you, uh, in Revel when it talks about a new heaven and a new earth, does that mean when we're in heaven, we're going to be able to be on a new earth, or how is that? Um, yes. So here's what I would say about that. I would say that um, by describing it as new heavens and a new earth, the other thing that Paul describes in 1 Corinthians 15 is he describes our resurrection bodies. And what this together tells me is that heaven is not going to be like an ethereal place in which we kind of just float around on clouds, you know, with angels and play harps and things like that. In fact, C.S. Lewis said about that idea that heaven will be floating around on clouds with harps. He said it is a ridiculous and offensive idea. And um, he said it's not biblical at all. And I, and I actually agree with him very much. What this tells us is that heaven is going to be a very tangible place. It will be very physical. So when we have heaven, we, we don't want to think about ourselves as kind of like transparent ghosts just floating around in heaven kind of bored or or the other thing that I think is sometimes very funny is that people you know you, you'll be in a worship service and the worship pastor will say hey you know right now we're worshiping God and we're singing these songs and this is what heaven's going to be like for eternity and so this is just a taste of it and I know what they mean that we will be worshiping God and we'll be in his presence forever but I don't think that's a great way to frame it because I mean look I, c I love worship services I'm a pastor right like I, I right. go to, I go to lots of church services and I love them, but I don't know. I mean, I, I need a break sometimes, right? I need like an intermission. I need to go like eat some food and do some work with my hands sometimes. And I, you know, so I think that I don't, I think that we would get pretty, pretty bored of just singing songs for uh, a million gazillion years. What this tells us is that heaven is going to be a city. It's going to be a new heavens, a new earth. It's going to be very tangible. We are going to have bodies. They will be different than the ones that we have now, but they will be bodies nonetheless. They'll be physical bodies that you can hug, that you can pick things up with. And you know, Jesus is the first fruits of those resurrected from the dead. And so we see Jesus and what does he do? Well, on the one hand, he enters into a room without using the door. That's pretty cool. But on the other hand, he also eats a fish. You know, he also cooks fish for Peter on the shores of Galilee. So we see that uh, there will be very tangible things. These are going to be real bodies, and they will be different, but they will be recognizable in another way. You remember that uh, the disciples, when they first saw the resurrected Jesus, they didn't recognize him. And yet, then they did recognize him. So that tells us, again, just the same thing. They will be different, but they will still be recognizable. And the hope of heaven is a really beautiful hope. It means that those loved ones you lose that one day you are going to get to hug them again. You're going to get to embrace them again. And you will be with them forever. And if you look at the Bible, what you see is that the Bible is not, it is, it is absolutely linear, right? So it, it starts at a beginning point and it ends at a destination. And yet it's also, in a way, it comes full circle, doesn't it? Because where we end up is also where we began 
but it's better than where we began. Let me, let me explain what I mean. We start in Genesis in the garden. That's where God created us for. That's where the story begins. We start in a garden where what? We have relationship with God, no sin, no shame, harmony with nature. And the other thing is there's this tree there called the tree of life. And it says that if they eat from the tree of life, they will live forever. And then what happens? Okay, we, we sinned at the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. We go through this long drama, which we're still playing out today. In the end, we know the end of the story. God's going to win. Jesus is the victor. Through him, we have victory. In him, we have eternal life. We have resurrection. We'll get new bodies. And then here's the most beautiful thing. What does Revelation 21 describe? It describes the Garden of Eden. But it's not a garden anymore, just as a garden with only trees. Now it's a garden city. So we start in a garden, we end in a city. But it's very clear that this city is a return to Eden because not only are we back in that place where we started, no more sin, no more death, harmony with nature, harmony with God, peace with God and with each other. And it says that in the middle of that city or that garden city, there is a tree, the tree of life, which you eat of it and live forever. In other words, this is a return to Eden, but here's what's so cool. It's not just a return to Eden. It's the fulfillment of what Eden would have become had sin never entered into the world. And so, in that way, yes, I believe that heaven is going to be tangible rather than ethereal. Yeah, so my next question was about the rapture. Do you believe in the rapture? Or we're supposed to be ready and waiting for Christ's return? Yes, and I would absolutely say that. But I, I will tell you this. Um, every Christian should believe in the rapture because, because really it's taught in the Bible. And I, and I mean this in this way. Every Christian believes that we're going to be caught up to God. The question is when, right? So if you're asking if I believe in the rapture, I would say, well, I actually think that every person who's an actual Christian believes in the rapture. What we differ on is when we believe the rapture will happen and the exact timeline in which we will be raptured to God. So if what you mean is, do I believe in a, a pre-tribulational rapture, which is what I assume you're alluding to, um, the answer to that would also be yes. Well, uh, I don't know if you've ever heard of Pure Flicks, but it's church movies. It's like 11 bucks a month. Well, they have movies on the rapture. I don't know if you're into church movies or not, or if you've heard of Pure Flicks, or do you approve of them, or what? I have heard of Pure Flicks. I don't have a subscription. I know people who do. Um, I, I think, hey, if... You know, certainly worse things you could be doing with your time than watching Christian movies. Um, but I would I would definitely advise that it's probably not like the very best place for you to get your theological education. Right, right, because it's Hollywood. They can create different views than are good for theology. Right, Sound so doctrine. I mean, yeah, right. Yeah. All right. Well, thank you very much for answering both those questions. You bet, Dave. God bless you. Yeah, bye-bye. All right. Bye -bye. Bye -bye. All right.
Hey, this is Calvary Live. Welcome to the program. For those of you who are just tuning in, this is a show where you can call in with your questions about the Bible or your prayer requests. We'd love to hear from you and answer those questions and pray for those requests. The number to call is 303-690-3000. That's 303-690-3000. Or text us at 720-336-0897. Let's go to our next caller, Josh in Denver, Colorado. Hi, Josh. Welcome to the program. How you doing, Pastor? Doing great. What's up? Hey, uh, got a question about Ezekiel 38. Been reading through it and uh, just seeing some significant things happening in our world today. And I just wanted to just ask a couple questions. Um, Gog and Magog, that's mentioned in Ezekiel 38. Okay. Um, in my studies, I'm studying Gog is more of like a title of some sort, a per- person in position and power. Magog is an actual... Uh, country of some sort in the north. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, I, I'm thinking that that is pretty accurate. Um, and then, when you look at Gog and Magog, is that really modern-day Russia, or is that more of an assumption? And if there's any like uh, historical evidence of ancient, uh, ancient you know, cities and things that can point us in the right direction, if that yeah. makes sense. Sure. Um, so here, here, here's what we have, right? Magog was a grandson uh-huh. of Noah. I don't know if you, you know gotcha. that. So in Genesis chapter 10. Yeah, check it out. Genesis chapter 10. He, Magog okay. is a descendant of Noah. It's his son's son, so his grandson. And the descendants okay. of Magog were the people who settled to the far north of Israel. So you could think uh, at that time, this is probably most likely the region around Georgia, Armenia. This is the Southern Caucasus region. So um, here we go that nowadays, you know, what, what does that mean? Because when Ezekiel's writing, this is very far removed from Noah, right? So, I mean, many, many generations. So when he's referring to Magog, it's generally believed that Magog is kind of a term that is used referring to Noah's descendants who settled to the north. In other words, it's a generic term for the northern barbarians, let's say, the northern peoples who live up there, who at that time would have been pagan people. Um, But there's, again, a, a connection to just the idea that the Magogians, you could say, are the people who traveled north and lived in that region. So Gog and Magog are both referred to, and it's interesting because they're referred to in Ezekiel 38 and 39, and then again in Revelation 20, verses 7 and 8. And that here's what's so interesting about Revelation. It says that when the thousand years are ended, Satan will be released from his prison, will come out and deceive the nations that are at the four corners of the earth, Gog and Magog to gather them for battle and their number is like the sand of the sea. So this is saying that at the end of the tribulation, right, when the thousand years are ended, Satan is then released to to try and to attack again. And um, at that time, he brings together this kind of coalition of, I think what, what we can discern from this Gog and Magog is that it refers to some kind of northern peoples. Now, here, I will tell you one thing that I find very interesting is that there have been times historically where the Russian people have actually identified themselves as Gog and Magog. 
Um, which seems like a weird thing to do to me because I don't know why you would want to associate yourself with people who are definitely talked about in a negative sense in the Bible, right? And, uh, you know, the Russians, I mean, even with their, their ties to Orthodox Christianity, it would seem to me that kind of a, a odd move to associate yourself with these people on purpose. But uh, it has been done historically. Russians have uh, kind of identified themselves in that way. So I think though the most we can do at this point is kind of speculate you know what what does that mean well it seems to mean some kind of northern coalition you know i i would say that i don't think it's out of the question to think that this could be not necessarily russia who who interestingly enough is tends to be a friend of israel a uh, supporter of israel but here's the other part that's interesting about russia is that they're also you know very closely tied to iran now, in my opinion, I think when we talk about Gog and Magog, we're thinking more in terms of um, probably, if we're talking about a modern connection to this, we're probably thinking more in terms of Iran. It's because Iran, you know, the if you look even where Tehran is um, located, it's in the kind of southern, it's just to the south of the Caspian Sea and near the Caucasus region. Okay. Now, I was thinking that Iran was more of the Persian Empire, but they they have... They're the similar with Gog and Magog as well. They're related to. Again, like I said, Gog and Magog is really kind of a generic term. These aren't actual sure. nations. And so it right, just refers exactly. to people of the north. And I would say that, um, yeah, I think this actually can be applied to Iran as well. So okay. that's my take no, that's, on it. I don't good. see a lot of stuff about Persia in, um, you know, in the end times stuff that we read. So sure. that's kind of why I tend to go there. But I'm also probably influenced just by my read on, you know, modern, modern uh, events. Sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, that's very interesting. I, I appreciate your take on that. That was very helpful. Cool. Well, God bless you. Thanks for calling in. Sweet man. God bless you. Bye. All right. Bye-bye. You're listening to Calvary Live. This is Pastor Nick Cady from Whitefields Community Church in Longmont, Colorado, taking your calls and texts live on the air. We've got one open line. Give us a call. 303-690-3000. It's 303-690-3000. Or text us at 720-336-0897. Let's go to our next caller, Joan or Joanne in Philadelphia. Hi, Joanne. Welcome to the program. Hi, Pastor. How are you? Doing great. What's up? Good. Um, I'm calling in for a prayer request. I'm sorry, a prayer request. My husband just lost his uh, grandfather. It's the first loss that he's ever experienced. Um, instead of the family coming together, they're just being divided up. So there's a lot of turmoil going on as well. Um, we're financially struggling. We're trying to bring God closer into our life. So we're just calling in and getting another prayer to try and make us feel more fulfilled absolutely let's pray for you Holy father we pray for joanne thank you lord that uh, she understands the power of prayer lord she understands that you're a god who is powerful who hears our prayers and who loves us and so lord i pray for her husband as they've just lost kind of the patriarch in the family the grandfather and lord we pray that you would help him that you would meet him in this time as your word refers to you as the God of all comfort who comforts us in our affliction so that we can comfort others with the comfort we've received. Lord, I pray for him that you would truly, um, he would experience relationship with you in that way, that he would know you as the God of all comfort and that you would comfort him in this time. And Lord, I also pray for the family turmoil. Lord, I pray uh, we know that your desire is not division of people, 
And ultimately, that is something that you will end, is all division. And so, Lord, we uh, ask that you, you would manifest your kingdom in their family and that they would see an incredible unity. And that, Lord, you would get the glory for that unity. So, Lord, we pray for this time in their family. We pray that, the, uh, that Joanne and her husband would lead the way in leaning into you and entrusting you. We pray that in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Father. You bet. God bless you. Thank you. God bless you as well. You're listening to Calvary Live. This is Pastor Nick Cady from Whitefields Community Church in Longmont, Colorado, taking your calls and texts on the air today. Two open lines. Give us a call, 303-690-3000. That's 303-690-3000. You can also text us at 720-336-0897. Let's go to Yvonne in Denver, Colorado. Hi, Yvonne. Welcome to the program. Good afternoon, Pastor. How are you? Doing well. I have a question. I have a couple of questions, actually. The first one is about purgatory. I was okay. raised Catholic, and uh, you know they talked about how your uh, your sins are forgiven, but uh, once you uh, pass on, you still have to uh, pay for the sins that you committed while on earth. Right. So that's where you, when you go to purgatory to to uh, pay for those sins. Mm-hmm. So. Would you like me to just give you my take on purgatory? Yeah, sure. Okay, so purgatory literally means cleansing fire, right? Um, right. So, I, like, for example, I lived in Hungary for a long time, speak Hungarian. The word purgatory in Hungarian literally is purifying fire. Now, as you said, I mean, you articulated it quite well. That is what is taught. I mean, in fact, I'm looking at the Catholic Encyclopedia right now. Here, here's what it says. A place or condition of temporal punishment for those who, departing this life in God's grace, are not entirely free of venial faults or have not fully paid the satisfaction due to their transgressions. Okay, here's why I think this is an absolutely unbiblical doctrine. is because the Bible teaches that Jesus paid the satisfaction, to use the same terminology, Jesus fully paid the satisfaction for our transgressions on our behalf in his body. That means that there's nothing left for us to pay. And so there's the idea that we somehow pay the price for our sins and that we have to do penance and basically make up for or suffer because of things that we've done in this life, um, I think goes 100% contrary to what is taught in the scriptures in the New Testament and also the Old Testament. I mean, in the Old Testament, you had this whole concept, which of course existed to foreshadow Jesus. And okay. that was the sacrificial system. You know, sacrifices of atonement, sacrifices for covering over sin. And of course, these were only a foreshadowing in a picture of the ultimate sacrifice. Of course, that's taught in the book of Hebrews, for example. But it says very clearly in Hebrews, that he died once and for all to not only cover, but to abolish our sin. He took all of the penalty and all of the punishment in his body for us so that we don't have to. Now, you might say, well, that sounds too good to be true. Really, that's, that's the main argument against this doctrine from a Roman Catholic perspective. They would say, well, that sounds too good to be true. People should have to suffer a little bit if they do really bad things. And... I know that it might that might sound like a logical argument, but it's not a biblical argument because clearly what the Bible teaches is that that's not the case. And this was one of the major issues in the Reformation. 
if you remember Martin uh -huh. Luther, this was one of the things he really took issue with. He said, this teaching about purgatory is absolutely contrary to the Bible. It's not only not in the Bible, it's contrary to the Bible. And this was actually a big reason why the Roman Catholic Church pushed for, in the time after the Reformation, what is called by Catholics the Catholic Reformation, but it's called by Protestants the Counter-Reformation, whatever you call it. It's the area t around the Council of Trent, which followed the Reformation since so like late 1500s. And this was really the time when the Catholic Church approved of and, and really started pushing for the Old Testament Apocrypha because there is a reference to something which could be could be kind of understood if you wanted to as advocating for purgatory or cleansing fire before one is allowed into heaven. And that's not found in the Bible. It's found in this apocryphal Old Testament book. And this is a big reason why at the Council of Trent in the late 1500s, the Catholic Church started advocating for the approval of the Old Testament apocrypha into the canon of Scripture. But let's remember that the... the um, Jewish people never considered the Old Testament Apocrypha to be part of Scripture. Hey, we've right. come up to our, our break. I'd be happy to talk with you more about this if you're willing to hold through the break. Um, but right sure. now we have to go to our two-minute break. We'll be back yes. in two minutes' time. You're listening to Calvary Live. Give us a call, 303-690-3000. Text us, 720 Welcome back to Calvary Live. Give us a call at 303-690-3000 or text us at 720-336-0897. Let's join Calvary Live right now. Good afternoon and welcome back to Calvary Live. This is Pastor Nick Cady from Whitefields Community Church in Longmont, Colorado. I'm here with you today taking your calls and texts live on the air. This is the show where you can Call in with your questions about the Bible or anything going on in your life that you'd like prayer for or counsel on. We're here to talk with you and pray for you and hopefully answer your questions. The number to call is 303-690-3000. It's 303-690-3000. Or you can text us at 720-336-0897. Hey, right before we went to the break, we were talking to Yvonne in Denver. So let's go back to that. Are you there? Yes. Go okay, ahead. great. So we were talking about purgatory. And I think I, I think I basically covered the bases on that, um, but I wanted right. to give you a, a chance to ask. You said you had another question. Yeah, but uh, just to follow up on the purgatory, I read yeah. something a while back that uh, even thought of a place after death that uh, that you had to uh, pay for your temporal sins, and I was wondering if you uh, had heard about that. I mean, it sounds a lot like purgatory to me. Yeah. But um, it goes back way before the, you know, the Catholic Church was really pushing it. Hmm. Interesting. Yeah. You know, here's the thing that the Catholic Church said at the time of Luther is that they hadn't just started teaching that that they they had been teaching this for a long time as uh, the doctrine of purgatory had developed. And one of the things that this gets to is what we call theological method, and everybody has one, right? Theological method uh -huh. is the way in which you come to your theological conclusions. So, for example, the big difference in the Reformation versus how the Catholic Church was and, and continues to do theology is basically basically this. It's a little bit more complicated than this, but if I were to just put it in really simple terms, it kind of comes down to this. The Catholic Church was saying this, that um, Scripture is good and it points us to Jesus, but Scripture alone 
should not be considered what we call the rule of faith. And the rule of faith is kind of, you know, the think of it in terms of a ruler, right? The thing that gives you the measure that tells you what the standard is. Maybe that's a better term to use, the standard. And okay. what they would say is, therefore, if something's not in the Bible, but exists in church tradition, then, then that's sufficient to say, hey, if the church has been doing this, this is our tradition, then it should be accepted as doctrine. Whereas, um, you know, that's the whole point of the Reformation mantra of sola scriptura which means that we get our that the scripture is our baseline it is our standard alone not not tradition but scripture itself so if scripture does not talk to us about purgatory then we shouldn't uh, believe in a doctrine of purgatory now then the other the other way you could look at this is basically the roman catholic church's approach is to say the scripture should be read through the lens of tradition. In other words, it should be interpreted through the lens of tradition. Whereas the Reformation said, no, we believe it should be opposite, and we should interpret tradition through the lens of scripture. Now, it's really important that we understand the Reformation didn't say we should not care about tradition. Um, that would be a misrepresentation of what they said. And, and tradition is important. You know, the way that Christians right. have always interpreted certain things right now, this is a really big issue when it comes to um, a lot of the social things that are being pushed on the church. For example, the uh, the push to affirm uh, homosexuality or homosexual practice. You know, we have 2000 years of Christian tradition that says, no, for 2000 years, Christians have viewed this singularly unified in one way. And we shouldn't disregard that and say, well, all those guys were wrong. And now we know better. So we want to keep tradition in mind. But I do, I do agree with the Reformation view, which is that Scripture constitutes the rule of faith or the standard for our faith, the, the guidelines of what we believe and what we don't believe. And I do believe that God has, as Peter says, given us everything we need for life and godliness in his word. And so, therefore, we interpret our traditions or church traditions through the lens of Scripture rather than interpreting scripture through the lens of tradition. And so when it comes that to purgatory, yeah, so when it comes to purgatory, I would say this. Um, we want to view it in terms of scripture because that doctrine of purgatory, even if you follow it through church history, it kind of pops up and shows up. Um, and here's my opinion, and this is based on my study of history and philosophy in seminary, is that I think that you can... Um, find the origins of the doctrine of purgatory in Greek philosophy rather than in Judeo-Christian teachings, meaning biblical teachings. Okay. And, and we know there are actually you know, quite a few things. The, the Greek philosophy really did have a big influence on a lot of the practices and doctrines that came into the church in the first 1,000 years particularly. And so you know, we want to look at those things and say, okay, is this a Christian biblical teaching? Is it a Judeo-Christian biblical teaching? Or is this something which came into the church and became a practice and a tradition, but really has its origins more in Greek philosophy than in the Bible? And I would say that that's the case with purgatory. Okay. Now, I got another quick one. Um, it's, it's on confession. Um, now, I don't know the exact quote, but in the Bible it says something about uh, the apostles, um, that they could, uh, you know, uh, forget the, forgive the sins 
that they forgive, or they can deny the uh, forgiveness if they wanted to deny them in confession. Um, so when the Catholics go in, in front of the priest, do they need to, to see the priest so that he can forgive them or deny them? Yeah, that's a great question. So, so here I'll give you the Bible verse and talk you through it. My short answer is going to be, it doesn't have to be a priest. But I do think that this is a really important thing. And I would say this is one of the things which I think Protestants have not done as well as they should do, as we should do, because I, I include myself in that camp. Okay, so here's what it comes down to. These are referred to in you know, terminology. It's called the keys of the kingdom. And it comes from Matthew chapter 16, verse 19. And here's what it says. Let me just read it to you. Jesus says to Peter, I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. Whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Now, keep in mind that what he's talking about at this point, it comes in the context of a few things happen in quick succession. Okay, so they're in a place called Caesarea Philippi, which is in the Golan Heights region of Israel. It's kind of the far north of Israel. They're up there. There's this big rock. And I, if you ever go to Israel, you'll probably get to see it. It's called you know, Caesarea Philippi. They're up there, and it's there that Jesus asks his disciples, you know, who do people say that I am? And they say, well, some say that you are Elijah. Others say that you're the prophet. Um, and Jesus says, okay, well, that's cool. But who do you say that I am? And Simon Peter speaks up and says, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. And Jesus says, blessed are you, Simon Barjona. Flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my father who is in heaven. And then he says, and this is kind of the big thing. You know, it's a really important thing for us to understand because this, this gets to a, a lot of Catholic conclusions, right? They say, Jesus says, you are Peter, which by the way means rock. So his name in Hebrew is Simon. He's also called Peter. Jesus gives him this name. Peter means rock. You are Peter. You are the rock. And on this rock, and now remember, he's standing in front of a giant rock there in Caesarea Philippi. On this rock, I will build my church and the gates of Hades shall not overcome it. And then he says, I will give you the keys of the kingdom. Whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. If you um, look at a lot of statues of Peter um, in Roman Catholic you know, statuary, a lot of times he's holding keys. These are the keys to the kingdom. Now, we have to interpret this. The first big question is this. Is Jesus saying that Peter is the rock upon whom he will build his church? Or is he saying that Peter's confession of Jesus as Messiah is the rock upon which he will build the church? Most Protestants have tended to say that it is the confession of Peter, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God, that that is the rock upon which Jesus will build his church. A lot of the reason why they say that is because of also wanting to not um, agree that Peter is the first of the bishops of Rome, meaning the popes. Now, I don't think it's necessary that we necessarily say that. I think it's possible that we can say Jesus was talking about Peter and saying, you are Peter and on this rock I will build my church. But we can also see that within several years of this, that the church um, was not singularly built upon Peter in the church in Rome. 
right? So there, it was spread out. There was a church in Jerusalem that had its own leaders. James was the leader of the church in Jerusalem. There was a church in Antioch. There were other big churches which were very influential regionally. And um, I don't think that he's saying necessarily that the church will be singularly top-down like a pyramid built upon with Peter at the top. Okay, but mm-hmm. when he says, I will give you the keys to the kingdom, my whole point here is to say this. He's speaking about the church, which is going to be birthed out of Pentecost, which is when the Holy Spirit came upon the church in the book of Acts. And so he's saying, I'm giving you, meaning you as the apostles, as the church, I am giving you the keys to the kingdom. In other words, this speaks merely of authority, right? If I give you the keys to a building, that means that you have authority over that building. And Jesus is saying, I want you to run this thing. You have my authority. I am giving you the keys to my car. You know, think about if you give someone the keys to your car, you're giving them permission to drive it. And I think that that's what's being talked about here. He's talking about authority. I'm giving you the authority to lead my church when I am ascended into heaven during the in-between time before I return. And he's telling them, I want you to do this. This is the foundation which I want my church built on. This confession that I am Jesus, you know, I am the, the Christ, the son of the living God, and I'm giving you the keys to the car. So your question, do you have to go to confession in order to be forgiven? I don't believe that you do. I think that in Hebrews, it makes it very clear that we have one mediator between man and God, the man, Christ Jesus. So I believe that you can go directly to Christ with your confessions and you can be forgiven and have your sins forgiven you. That being said, it also talks about in the book of James, James talks about this and he says, confess your sins one to another. And this is kind of my point earlier when I said, do you have to go to a priest? My answer would be no, because in Hebrews we're told, as we are also in 1 Peter, you are a holy nation, a royal priesthood. In other words, in Christ, every believer is a priest, a priest, a minister. We've all been called into the ministry. And I believe that we've all been given the ability, if someone confesses their sins to us, It's not us who forgives their sins. It's God who forgives their sins. But we are able to tell them, hey, brother, sister, in Christ, that sin is forgiven because Jesus died for it. It was nailed to the cross along with him, as Paul says in Colossians chapter 1. And so we're able to pronounce that over them and encourage them in that fact. And so here's the thing I would say. What Protestants haven't done great at is creating a culture of um, confessing our sins one to another. I, I know I've been in places where it's been tried in community groups and things like that, and I think it's really good. I think that we need to have that kind of culture, where there's a culture of confession and a culture of proclaiming the gospel to one another, which is saying, you know, you tell me, hey, I sinned this week in this way, and I tell you, that sin is forgiven in Christ as you trust in him because it was nailed to the cross with Jesus. I think we would be much better off as Protestants if we had more of a culture of that. Um, But I don't think it is limited to those who are ordained priests in the Catholic Church, um, because, as I said, Hebrews, 1 Peter, we are a nation of priests and a royal priesthood. Uh, We're all in the ministry, and as James says, we can confess our sins one to another. Okay. 
that helps out a lot. Like I said, I was Christian or Catholic, and there are a lot of the tra- traditions that uh, that I wasn't really comfortable about, and those are the two that I was thinking about. And um, and a lot of the, the traditions I wasn't comfortable with. And so I go to a Catholic church or a Christian church or, you know, any of, any of the ones that my friends go to, just because I'm just trying to get the message and not necessarily the tradition. And yeah. uh, so I was just, kind of, I, as I've gotten older, the traditions just don't make a lot of sense sometimes. Right. You know, Yvonne, I was also, uh, I was raised, um, I was raised on my mom's side Lutheran and my dad's side Catholic. So I'm, I'm pretty familiar with all of these things. And I know that, um, you know, for me, I actually liked some of those traditions, but I remember that when I was 16, I gave my life to the Lord, and I remember there was a there was a time when I was, I, I immediately, actually, when I gave my life to the Lord, I started going uh, very regularly to Catholic Church in the beginning, and I remember realizing as I was going through that, that there were all these traditions, and I wasn't growing in the knowledge of the Word of God, um, and I didn't actually agree with these traditions. So I found myself in a very uh, similar place to where you're finding yourself right now, and my advice for you is this. Find a church that teaches the Bible because that's how you're going to grow. You're going to grow in the knowledge of God through learning the word of God because God speaks to us through his word. He's revealed himself in his word. And so that would be my encouragement. Find a church uh, that, that majors on teaching the Bible. And, okay. Yeah. Okay. Well, God bless you. Thank you so much. God bless you. All right. Bye-bye. You're listening to Calvary Live. This is Pastor Nick Cady from Whitefields Community Church in Longmont, Colorado, taking your calls and texts on the air. We've got one open line, 303-690-3000. Let's go to Rudy in Denver, Colorado. Hi, Rudy. Welcome to the program. Thank you. Thank you. Um, Because I have a situation with a brother-in-law who recently um, started hearing voices. Okay, my wife stepped in. He don't live with us. She stepped in, got him the help, got him, you know, he he went through a walk-in clinic. Denver Health Medical was evaluated, observed for a couple of days, goes back home with his father, and he still hears the voice. So, okay, we're dealing with that part, but he knows that we're Christians and we, we arrow, our life, arrow our life towards Jesus no matter what. And he's coming to me and my family, you know, my, my wife with questions about, you know, I mean, he wants to pray to God, he wants to follow God, and he knows Jesus is going to help him out through this, but... When he's asking why, and he feels like he's possessed, and I, you know, I'm, I'm not that knowledgeable on, you know, scripture. I listen to the radio show because you guys, you know, verse by verse, chapter by chapter, and I'm learning myself. I don't have these answers for him, and he just really wants to know what he can do to through Christ. So, I don't know, stop him. I know this is not a rare situation that he's in because going to that hospital, there's a lot of people like him. Mm-hmm. It happens a lot. People say he's been through it a lot with their children, and I just yeah. don't really have answers for him on why he thinks he's possessed. And what's he have any any way I could dispatch to him? Yeah, absolutely. Okay, so first of all, I do think look, if this is a psychiatric problem, which mm-hmm. it very well may be, then I think he needs psychiatric help for this. If it's exactly. really yeah. a chemical issue, it needs to be treated uh, in a psychiatric way. And that's where we're at now. Yeah, yeah, and I'm, I'm glad that he's doing that. From a spiritual on his standpoint. Own. He's walk, doing walk-ins on his own. He's going to, you know, he's, he's tackling these resources that he don't see no results from yet. Yeah. Mm-hmm. 
But but here's another thing I'll tell you, and and this is actually something that a lot of medical professionals and a lot of psychiatric professionals will also tell you, is that prayer, turning to Jesus, studying the Word is only is is actually not only going to help him. It's one of the best possible things that can help him. Now I um I sometimes visit a psychiatric hospital up here in in our area near Boulder, and you know it's interesting because even there the psychiatric professionals. Uh, almost nobody can go into these places except for um, except for ministers. And so they'll, they'll let us in there because they realize how important there is a spiritual aspect to this. Okay, so here's what I would uh, send a message to your brother, is that if he is really concerned about demonic possession, we have really good, clear news from the Bible, and that's this, that if you have the Holy Spirit in you, then you cannot at the same time be possessed by a demon. Now, you, you might be able to be harassed by a demon, but that's a different thing than being possessed, right? Because God will give us the strength to stand up under any temptation or harassment or even spiritual harassment that we might experience. But um, definitely, you know, being possessed by a demon, that's a, that's a really bad, <laughs> bad thing and a big deal. But here's the good news. If he puts his trust in Jesus, if he receives Jesus as his Savior, you know, 1 Corinthians and Ephesians chapter 1, they tell us that when you do that, God puts his spirit inside of you as a seal, and that if you have his spirit, then you belong to him. And if you belong to him, you cannot be possessed by another, meaning a, a evil spirit. That's why Jesus tells this story, remember? He says, you know, if you clean the house, so to say, uh, of a person who's, possessed by a demon and you cleanse them of that demon but then you don't replace that that void with the holy spirit then what will happen is even more demonic possession will come and take over and so this is really the most important thing i would want your brother to know is turn to jesus give him your life embrace the gospel wholeheartedly make him your lord pursue him trust in him cling to him rely on him and if you do that, you know, Romans 8 says that for those who are children of God, his spirit is inside of us. And if you don't have the spirit of God in you, then you're not a child of God. And so my, my hope for him is that if he hasn't already, become a child of God by putting your faith in Jesus and embracing the gospel. And if he has done that, then I think that he can be very confident that he is not possessed by demons. But if he hasn't, then I would say immediately that's the, that's the number one thing. Um, beyond that, I would just say, you know, the best thing he can do is be having people pray for him. You know, laying hands on him, praying for him, asking for clarity in his mind and cleansing and protection in a spiritual way. And let's do that right he now. Feels but, nothing but the I mean, we're praying. We're, my wife is praying constantly with him and, you know, hugging him and embracing him and loving him, you know, and, and I've started doing that to, you know, give her that little bit of break to, you know, recuperate and take care of herself and pray for in our family, in our household, to stay strong to this. But, uh, yeah, I mean, even in, we try to get him to church, and he, he feels that he can't step in the doors because he's not worthy, and he that's what the voices are telling him. So we, we relaxed on him yesterday, allowed him to stay home. But, uh, yeah, I, I, I got to push harder on, you know, I mean, just letting him know that. Yeah. You, you know, mentioned I mean, Colossians, the first verse you had said that, that relates to, you know, having the, you know, uh, filling that void. What was that? Ephesians chapter 1 talks about being 
uh, having the Holy Spirit in you as a seal. And so does 1 Corinthians chapter 3. Now, the other thing I was talking about was a parable that Jesus taught. It wasn't a parable, actually. I'm sorry. It was a principle that Jesus taught. I don't have that text in front of me right now. Yeah. But you can, you can search that. He's talking about cleansing a house and having someone else come in, you know, and not filling that void with the Holy Spirit. So you can, you can look at that um, later on. But yeah, I will. Yeah, I'm doing. But let's, uh, let's pray for your brother. And I would, I would encourage you, Thank you. You know what? I'm not worthy to step foot inside of God's house either. But that's the great good news of the gospel. That it's not our worthiness, it's Jesus' worthiness on our behalf. And we don't, you know, that that's actually what we can do. We can say, I am not worthy, but praise the Lord because Jesus is worthy. So I would encourage him in that way. Okay. So let's pray for your brother. Heavenly Father, pray for Rudy and I pray for his brother. I pray for Rudy's wife. And I just uh, I thank you, Lord, that Rudy and his wife are ministering this brother i pray that he would get the help he needs lord if this is a spiritual problem we ask that you would drive out demons let him be filled with the holy spirit lord we pray that these uh th this demonic oppression or um you know whatever this is that it would stop in jesus name lord that you give him clarity of mind Lord, we also pray that if this is a psychiatric problem lord give the psychiatric professionals who are helping him give them so much wisdom with how to help him so that he can live a full and healthy life and lord we pray that in the end we thank you that he realizes his unworthiness. But Lord, if we stop there, we'll still be lost. Lord, I pray that he would embrace and trust in your worthiness, Jesus. And we pray that in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you so much. Love you God guys. You, Rudy. All right, bye-bye. Bye-bye. Listening to Calvary Live, we've come almost to the end of our show. Let's go to our next caller, Elizabeth in Aurora, Colorado. Hi, Elizabeth. Welcome to the program. Hi, thank you. Um, I was just calling because I was trying to get a little bit of guidance Um I was recently offered a ministry within our church, um, and there's been quite a bit of conflicts between, like, my spouse and our pastors, just kind of, like, um, just disagreements as to how kind of things are happening and whatnot, and I kind of feel like I'm between the rock and the hard place. I'm not sure. Like, I'm, I'm grateful to God for the ministry He has offered to me, because I know that it's not the pastor's decisions. It's something that the Lord has presented to them, and offered to me um but i kind of feel like i'm not sure if i'm if i would be doing the right thing because my spouse has on various occasions um discussed um and even told our pastors that he wants to leave the the church and he wants to um go elsewhere and he wants to start over and um and so i just don't know i know as you know a woman of god my responsibility is to um, you know, be the, the, the partner to my husband and, um, to be his support. Um, but I'm afraid, um, that by leaving our church, our current church, and I don't know if this is, um, I know fear doesn't come from the Lord. It's, it comes from the enemy, but my concern is that because my children are actively involved in the ministry at church as well, um, that we would all move to another location to, so that we can help my husband grow spiritually, but I'm afraid that our children, um, and myself included, would uh, would fall away um, if we're not happy where, where we are going. Um, and so I'm just trying to get guidance as to how sure. to kind let, of have let me, let me ask and not you feel like quick. I'm between the, wrong, between the rock and the hard place, I guess. Sure. Let me just ask you real quick. So this ministry position is at your current church? Correct. 
Okay. Yeah, here's so the at big this thing. Point, that everybody I... in, the, in the home serves. Everybody in my home serves the Lord, and I'm grateful to Jesus for that. Um, my husband even serves. Um, he's just not quite pleased with, like I said, a lot of the things that happen. I see. Um, yeah, and I might ask you a de- one or two details on that. But sure. first of all, I just want to tell you this, that you guys really need to pray and decide. Because here's the right. thing I want you to know. If you're going to take this job, you need to be on board with the mission and vision of this church. Right. And you need to 100% support the leadership. Right. Because, you know, if you if you can't do that, then it's not fair to that church for you to take this position. Absolutely. So so really you guys either need to this is this is really a watershed moment where you're going to need right. to decide you know what this is not um a place where we want to be long term mm-hmm. or mm-hmm. this is a place where we're, we're we're going to double down and we're going to choose to bloom or what do you say grow where you're planted. Grow. Mm-hmm. Now now let me just ask you this can sure. you grow in this church? I mean is there is it a mentality shift that needs to take place on your parts? Or is this there? Is there really a hindrance? Is there something, um, you know, that's really deficient so, in the ministry yeah, and the mission? Yeah. So the and problem is mostly like um, we are. I feel like there's room for growth for the entire family. Um, uh, part of, like I said, my husband serves there as well. Um, part of the conflict um, with him is kind of just the language barrier because he. We are bilingual. We are both bilingual. Um, but he understands more in English, um, and the services that we go to are in Spanish, and our church only offers Spanish. Um, however, um, that, that put aside, my husband serves as well, like I said, and he has been um, serving since we've, you know, soon after we started attending. Um, the, I think that, the, and I hate to, it's not about speaking badly about our pastors, but I think that we also see that, you know, as humans, we don't have... Um, we don't always act correctly, and so they have failures. And I actually have noticed some of those failures. I like I'm not not saying that I, I'm uh, judging that. I, I need to cut you off right now because yeah. we've reached the end of our show. Here's what I'll tell yeah. you: you guys need to decide. If you do take the job, then I think you need to put those disagreements behind you and do okay. it 100. percent But that's okay. a really big thing for you guys to pray for, and I pray that God gives you wisdom. Jesus Amen. name. Thank you. Amen. Thank you. God bless you. Hey, you've been listening to Calvary Live. Join us every weekday, 4 to 5 p.m. Check me out at whitefieldschurch.com. We'd love to have you come visit us. God bless you, and I'll be with you again next week. You've been listening to Calvary Live. Tune in next time for prayer and God's Word.